0: After the Virus, Episode 19. Brought to you by After the Virus, a Survivalist's Journal. Now available in ebook or paperback formats from Amazon.com and locally in Chico, California, from the bookstore. After nearly half a year, Will and Hope have returned. To Ishi country, as they travel down slope, seeking answers to questions about the foreboding message they've decoded. Here, for the first time, they finally come face to face with the woman in the cabin, on the flank of Iron Mountain, a landmark which Ishi called Kiwite. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to seek out Richard Burrell's book, Ishi Returns Home, for a deep dive into the place names and their significance to the Yahi people. Episode 18 concluded with the cabin door opening.
1: Finally, the door opened, and there was the woman. The same woman we had seen here six months ago. We were in shock that she could survive all this time by herself. We continued to watch for a long time and think about what to do. Leave her alone? Offer her help? Would she shoot us on sight? We decided that I would make myself known to her while Will stayed out of sight. She was tending to a winter garden box. We could see the dark green of some leafy vegetables. I had left my pack and gun with Will and stepped into the middle of the canopied opening, forty yards away from her. Hello! We left you a note last spring, I said quickly before she could take action. As soon as the first word was out of my mouth, she sprinted in a crouch to the cabin. I repeated myself twice more. We left you a note last spring. Hello? Eventually, I could see the muzzle of a gun. Once more, I made the same statement. Put your hands on your head, she shouted. Once I had complied, she asked, Are you alone? To which I said, No, my partner is back in the trees. Tell him to come out in the open with his hands on his head. Will heard every word, so I didn't need to repeat it. He dropped his gear and walked out near me. Why shouldn't I shoot you right now?
0: Will replied, Because we're good people, like you, and the woods are full of militia. We can help. I don't need help been doing fine on my own. We know, Will said. We saw you here last spring. We saw your husband's grave. It's quite a thing to have survived so well for so long. I
1: guess you're VNC, like me, she said. She was softening. The gun drooped, and the door opened a little wider. You're the first other humans I've spoken to in half a year. Come closer. We left our hands up and came to about ten yards from her and sat down on the grass. She looked us over for a bit, and then sat down also. She asked, Tell me your stories. Which we did in detail. Then she told us hers. Her husband was a fisherman and outdoorsman like Will, and they had been coming to this canyon for years, about the same time as Will made his camp, and my family set up on the bluff. They had driven to the Ponderosa Way Bridge, and made multiple trips packing belongings, the four hours downstream to the spot. They immediately set about building their small cabin, and were confident no one could detect them here. Everything was great until her husband, Jared, dislodged a hornet nest, and was stung all over his body, went into shock, and died. Though a capable angler and gardener, she doubted her ability to feed herself long-term. So, she risked a drive to Campbellville to search out some supplies. She raided some deserted cabins, filled their pickup with as many foods and supplies as she could. On the drive back into the canyon, she could see a helicopter searching the slopes. So she parked under some dense trees and waited until dark. Then drove the treacherous road using a flashlight. After getting back to the bridge and hiding the truck as well as possible, she spent the day shuttling supplies to the cabin. For security, rather than storing goods in the cabin, she stashed them under a nearby overhang on the slope behind the cabin. As last summer's fire had approached the cabin, she headed for the creek, and like us, waited it out in and near the water, where she remained for a few days until all evidence of fire had passed. It was during this time that Will and I must have looked for her at the cabin and found it empty. Since that time, she had worked continuously to provision herself for winter, fishing, gardening, foraging, and preparing the cabin for the weather, even adding poles to the roof in addition to the large canvas tarp. While she had heard helicopters and shooting far in the distance, no one had yet discovered her hideaway except us. After hours of recounting our experiences, we felt the shared camaraderie of disaster survivors. She invited us to stay the night. With the militia so active and so close, Will and I offered to take shifts, watching and listening for trouble. She agreed. Her name is Laurel. January 28th. We have spent the last few days sewing clothes, cleaning, sharpening, and repairing gear. While all the time, one of the three of us were assigned to lookout duty, Will has been building tripwire alarms, using fishing line and used cans, with an ingenious paddle that bangs the cans repeatedly once tripped. No bullet shots, helicopter, or heavy equipment noises. Yet, Laurel is pretty sure of the date. By her reckoning, it is January 28th, she has kept a calendar since coming to the mountain, and doesn't think she's missed any days. Depending on our plan, we want to know the date accurately, so we'll know when March 15th is, and whatever is going to happen then. Laurel does not have any electronics, and was unaware of the coded message. We are all concerned about what may be going down on that date, and discussing options. Will thinks we need to find someone who can give us more accurate information. January 31st. A cold storm moved in and got about four inches of snow. I have been bow hunting the last few days. The deer herd is still at lower elevation. We are at about 1900 feet here. But there were plenty of squirrels. I also shot a hen, turkey, and a jackrabbit. Laurel has been cooking the game for us. She does not bow hunt, but says she is good with a rifle. We don't want to do any shooting unless we have to. We are as well fed as we have been in months. February 2nd. This morning around dawn, we heard one of the tripwires sound. We made a plan for this. Laurel and I grab ready to go backpacks and climb a path that looks down on the cabin, while Will goes to investigate. The plan works perfectly. Fortunately, all we find are feathers, as the waist-height wire was tripped by a large owl and not a person. Good practice. Warmed a little today, and snow now in patches. February 4th. Small airplane heard today. First heard in months. The plane made numerous circles above the canyon, but gave out no indication that he made out a well-camouflaged little cabin under the Evergreen Canyon Live Oaks. Will thinks that he should hike to the valley to get more information about the extermination. February 7th. Three days later, riding this from Big Dry Creek Canyon, a lesser canyon running between Deer and Mill Creeks. The morning of February 5th, another trip wire went off, and just like before, Laurel and I quickly headed uphill with our packs to wait for the all clear. After a few minutes, we could hear shouting coming from behind the cabin, while at the same time, we saw Will climb a rock formation near us and rest his rifle for a shot. We could hear voices at the cabin and the sound of things being banged and broken. The crack of Will's rifle was followed immediately by an explosion and a flash of fire from the cabin site. For a few moments, there was silence, then moaning, screaming and shouting. Will took additional shots as Laurel and I readied our guns. Watching Will while keeping an eye on the trail, we had come up. We saw him point to the cabin, then motion us towards it. As he left his perch and started back down the hill, we matched his pace, sneaking cautiously towards what was now a roaring, crackling fire. When we finally could see the sight, the cabin was fully engulfed, and a number of bodies lay nearby. A shot whizzed right past me and Laurel, and all we could do was get as close to the nearby oak trunks as possible. Two more shots came close, one hitting the tree we were behind. We were trapped where we were. We heard an exchange of shots as Will traded fire with the shooter, which gave us the opportunity to peer around the tree to try to get a bead on him. I felt Laurel raise her rifle and lean it against the tree. Then it went off, just feet away from my ears, and I couldn't hear a thing. But when she came back around the tree, she gave me a nervous thumbs up. We continued to watch for movement. Eventually, Will came over behind us.
0: Nice shot, Laurel. I had rigged up a propane tank in view of the rock in case we ever needed to blow up the cabin. There were two or three guys inside the structure and another two or three outside. I knew the cabin would never be safe for us again. When it blew, I started picking off anybody left moving. The guy that was farthest from the blast was the one that was shooting at you. I didn't have a clear shot at him, so I just started shooting to give you some cover to make a move on him. Now I guess we know that Laurel can actually shoot.
1: He said with a quick grin.
0: I assume the guys inside are toast. I'll go look.
1: We followed him towards the cabin, watching for any movement. He went carefully from body to body, checking for life. At one of them, he fired a shot.
0: Sorry! He needed some help dying!
1: He shouted back to us. The cabin had now collapsed, and clearly no one inside survived.
0: We need to get out of here. Check the bodies for anything we might need.
1: We already had all the guns we could carry but we took some more bullets, a walkie-talkie, and two grenades.
0: These may come in handy someday.
1: Assuming that there would be more soldiers coming, and they would be looking for us along Deer Creek, our escape plan was to head upslope to the ridge above us, then drop into Big Dry Creek Canyon, which, Will says, is little used and little known. Our packs were heavy, but we were in excellent health. We made it for six-plus miles to Big Dry Creek, and found a spot with some heavy tree cover to spend the night. Looks like we won't be staying. We're heading towards the valley in the morning. February 9th. This canyon is rugged with lots of side canyons and no real trail, forcing us to climb up and down all day as we head down canyon, trying to stay just above the brushy area near the creek. At midday, we stopped to rest at the mouth of Water Hollow a side canyon with double the amount of water of the canyon we're in. We see our first deer in months here, as we are finally at the elevation where they overwinter below the snow line. I take off my pack and stock it for a bow shot, but my shot hits an unnoticed branch and I miss cleanly. The scenery is unchanged for the rest of the afternoon, except that it has started to rain. Near sunset, we find an overhang big enough for the three of us to sit out of the rain eat, and sleep uncomfortably. February 10th, gray and rainy all day. Rather than get soaked to the bone, we tried to wait out the rain in the overhang, but by noon the rain had turned to a drizzle, so we decided to add more miles towards the valley. Late afternoon we saw three does, two adults and one yearling. I positioned myself ahead of where they looked to be going, and was rewarded with a 15-yard shot at the yearling who, after the shot, ran about 30 yards and lay down. After giving her time to bleed out, she was dead when I went to retrieve her, 20 minutes later. As it was almost the end of the day, we set up camp in some trees nearby, and, as we had seen no aircraft in a week, took a chance on a fire and cooked up the entire animal. The meat was sweet and the remainder will last us a few days in this cold weather. February 11th. The hills on either side of us are getting lower as we approach the valley. We are all nervous about what we will find there. After another dreary day of nonstop walking, we double-check our weapons in preparation for the unknown. February 12th. Shortly after starting out, the canyon mouth opened up and we could see a large barn and what appeared to be a bunkhouse and corrals. There were no vehicles, no animals, and there appeared to be no people. Upon closer inspection, we found a long, dead body in the bunkhouse, but no sign of theft or vandalism. There was nothing to scavenge, so we left quickly. A dirt road led away from the property, to the north towards a town named Los Molinos. Will said he'd rather stick to the creek with its scattering of oaks and willows as it wandered around the open plain. Eventually, the trees disappeared, and we walked exposed through the creek channel. We scrambled under one small bridge, then came to Highway 99 the biggest road any of us had seen in a very long time. Will climbed out of the creek bed to get a look up and down the corridor. Returning quickly, he said that he could see no vehicles other than a couple of derelicts crashed along the road and what might have been a roadblock or checkpoint in the distance towards Los Molinos. Also, the road was pocked with craters, possibly from bombs or... We hurried under the highway bridge, then a railroad bridge, Then suddenly we were in thick vegetation. Climbing above the bushes and trees, we followed the margin of the creek and passed another barn and ended up on the banks of the enormous Sacramento River. We made camps at the edge of an old orchard. February 13th. Writing this while the others sleep. All along this big river, there are large pockets of woodlands interspersed with wide gravel bars and overgrown orchards. As well as still water and the abandoned channels that the river previously flowed down, as it is midwinter, the leaves are off of most of the trees. Any houses associated with orchards are at the opposite end of these large parcels. So, by hugging the river, we feel mostly safe from being seen by anyone that may be occupying the houses. Working our way south in single file along an animal trail, Will came to an abrupt halt and threw up his hand for us to stop then pointed out a tripwire across the trail.
0: This is not an animal trap. This is an alarm system for somebody,
1: he explained.
0: Thanks again for the pleasure of your company, and don't forget to order the ebook or paperback at amazon.com or locally in Chico at the bookstore.